Love is a friend just when hope seems to end. Welcome face, sweet embrace, tender touch filled with grace. Faithful love, endless power, living flame, spirit's fire, burning bright in the night, guiding my way. Faithful love from above came to earth to show the Father's love. And I'll never be the same For I've seen faithful love face to face And Jesus is His name Be seated. Welcome tonight. We're so glad that you're here. We have several who are guests, and we want you to know that you're welcome. Always uh, invited to be back with us at every opportunity that you have. Let's go ahead and jump into our lesson tonight. We're running just a little bit behind time. For those of you who are visiting with us tonight, what we've been doing on Sunday nights is studying through the book of Judges. We're in chapter number 11. A couple of weeks ago, we started talking about one of the most interesting characters in the entire book of Judges, a man by the name of Jephthah. We want to continue our study tonight in regard to Jephthah, but there are a couple of things that we looked at in regard to him that I'll catch us up on before we move on. First of all, as we talked about it last time, we thought about Jephthah's situation. What do we mean by that? Well, we found out he was a hometown boy. He was from Gilead. He was the son of Gilead as well, even though he was from a place called Gilead. His father's name was also Gilead. We also found out he was the son of a prostitute. Uh, he was the illegitimate son of, a, uh, of his uh, uh, prostitute mother and Gilead his father, and that meant that um, he would also have some half-brothers and sisters, and as we looked at him, we understand that there are some things that related to that because he became an outcast. His uh, family said, you'll never inherit anything from the, your father. Uh, and so he had to leave town. And we talked about all of this the last time. We don't have time to deal with that all again, but just to catch us up on that. Not only was he an outcast, but after leaving, he became a leader and became one that evidently was pretty well known because the people in his hometown knew that he was the man that they would need to get in order to lead them against the foes who were coming after them, persecuting them, taking things away from them. And they had been doing that for some 18 years according to what the Bible says in the book of Judges. He became a leader, but not only did he become a leader, he became a mighty warrior, if you're looking at the English Standard and some of the other translations. What does it mean that he was a mighty warrior? Well, we looked at the word that's translated mighty warrior, and we found some other instances where it's used in the Old Testament. And as we looked at those, we found some interesting things about this man. When we looked at it, we found that this idea of the mighty warrior was used in regard to Gideon earlier in the book of Judges, and there it's translated as a man, mighty man of valor. In Judges chapter 12, it's used again in regard to some of the men who are there. The Bible says, so the congregation sent 12,000 of their 
bravest men. And then again, we saw in the book of Ruth, chapter 2 at verse 1, that this term is used in regard to the man that Ruth would marry, a man by the name of Boaz, and it's in that place translated a worthy man. But it's also interesting that this word is used in regard to women. In the book of Proverbs, chapter 31, at verse number 10, the word that's used in regard here in the book of Judges, translated a mighty warrior, is used in the book of Proverbs 31, at verse 10, to speak of the excellent wife. And so, it's an interesting word. He becomes one who is brave, who is worthy. And according to the psalmist, this was an endowment, if you will, something, this strength was given to him by God. And so as we look at it, these are some of the things that, that we need to know about him. We also looked at Jephthah's summons. He had become an outcast, he'd had to leave town, but when uh, trouble came, the men of Gilead, they went to, to Jephthah. And they said, Jephthah, we've come to get you. Matter of fact, the text says that we have come to bring you uh, home. We, we went to bring. We want you to be our leader, uh, he said. They said the word leader there has to do with being the commander of the army. But Jephthah said, did you not hate me? Uh, was I not the one that you cast away? Now, this is going to become important a little bit later in our lesson tonight. Matter of fact, at the end. The idea of hating them, him, those people hating him, is the idea of him being unloved or shunned. Uh, he was one who was, in their eyes, considered to be a, a very low person. And so, he says, did you not hate me, but now you want me to be your, another word, you want me to be your head? You want me to be the highest? And so... It was interesting, and again, we talked about that a couple of weeks ago, that he went from being down here, the one nobody wanted, to the one everybody had to have, the one that they could not do without. And so, that's the summons of Jephthah. But we want to continue on. We know that he had a mission. We know that he was to do something. Uh, it was uh, something that would help the people of God. And that was to deliver the people from the hand of the Ammonites. Now, earlier we also noted that in these last several chapters of the book of Judges, we're basically going to be talking about the Ammonites and the Philistines. Most of us are more familiar with the Philistines and, and the battles that took place between the children of Israel and the Philistines, but we're focusing on the Ammonites tonight. They came to the people of Gilead. They come to... Uh, Jephthah, and they make him their head and their leader. They want him to be the one who is leading their military, but just because he becomes the leader of the military doesn't mean that he automatically goes out and attacks. It's interesting, as we notice in this passage, what Jephthah does, and so we're simply calling this part Jephthah's strategy. You see, when we begin reading about what happens next when Jephthah comes on the scene, when they submit themselves, if you will, to, to his leadership of the army and his, his being the one who is exalted among the people, Jephthah, the Bible says in Judges chapter 11 at verse number 12, he sent messengers to the king of the Ammonites. He, he wants to, to begin a conversation with the king of the Ammonites 
What is it that he wanted to talk about? Well, he asked the king of, uh, of the Ammonites in Judges chapter 11 at verse 12, What do you have against me that you have come to me to fight against my land? That's a pretty good question, isn't it? You see, as we look at it, we find Jephthah trying to be somewhat diplomatic. He tries to use some diplomacy in regard to this people. He doesn't want to have to go out and fight. He's a mighty warrior. He's a brave man. He has the capability of going out because he has God on his side. But as we look, he begins a dialogue with the people, with the king. He, he wants to know, what's the problem? Can we talk about this? Is there something that, that we can settle without both of us having to go to war and losing many people? What is the problem? What, what is it that I have done? What have my people done to cause this great problem between our two nations? Well, according to verse number 13, the Bible says, The king of the Ammonites answered the messengers of Jephthah, and he said, Because Israel, on coming up from Egypt, took away my land, from the Arnon to the Jabbok to the Jordan, now therefore restore it peaceably. Here's what, you, here's what we've got against you. You got our land. Okay? Well, <clears throat> the only problem with that is this. He's rewriting history. It wasn't their land. When we go, we find that Jephthah sends messengers back. He continues this dialogue with the king of the Ammonites. And uh, he sort of uses a historical argument against him. Matter of fact, we're going to find that he uses four separate arguments. Arguments that would be used by a diplomat, not just a warrior. Arguments that would be used that are quite... Uh, Good arguments, if you will. And, and as you probably already know, none of them worked with this king, but that did not stop Jephthah from trying. Now, what was the historical argument that Jephthah makes? We find that in the next several verses here in the book of Judges. Continuing on, back in verse 14, the Bible says, Jephthah again sent messengers to the king of the Ammonites and said to him, Thus says Jephthah, Israel did not take away the land of Moab or the land of the Ammonites, but when they came up from Egypt, Israel went through the wilderness to the Red Sea and came to Kadesh. Well, what he does, for the sake of time tonight, Jephthah just goes through history. He tells the king of the Ammonites through the messengers, you know, when we came out, this is what we did. This is the route that we went. We were very careful to ask when we came to certain people's land, the Moabites, because they were our distant cousins, just like you are our distant cousins. You see, the Moabites and the Ammonites were the descendants of Lot, who was the nephew of Abraham. And God had given the children of Israel strict instructions that they were not to take that land. They were not to pass through that land without the permission of these people. And so Jephthah, he goes back and he explains all of that. Now you know what? That, that says something else about Jephthah. He really knew the history. He knew exactly what had happened. He knew how things were done 
many years before. And he could use that history as a weapon, if you will, against this king. He explained to him that we went around. We did not pass through. When they said no, we, we actually listened to what they had to say. Until... Until we came to a certain place and there were two kings, one by the name of Sion and one by the name of Og. And Sion and Og, they got together and they came out to fight against us. And guess what? They lost. And we took their land, both of them being the kings of the Amorites, not the Ammonites. All of that's found right here in the book of Judges, chapter number 11, in that short section where Jephthah is explaining that. Jephthah said, we didn't take your land. We took their land because they came out and attacked us and fought against us and we defeated them. We never touched the land of the Ammonites. And so he uses the historical argument to try to solve things between them. But that doesn't work, and so he uses what we might simply call a theological argument. What's the next thing that, that he uses in his diplomacy, trying to, to reason with this king of the Ammonites? Well, in verse 24, down in chapter number 11, if we continue on down there, the Bible simply says this, "...will you not possess what Chemosh your God gives you to possess, and all that the Lord our God has dispossessed before us, we will possess." I believe that Jephthah knew that Chemosh or Chemosh was not a real God, but he's using this diplomatic means. You've had this land. Your God has given you this land. Our God has given us this land. Why don't you dwell on the land that your God has given you? We'll dwell on the land that our God has given us. But if that doesn't work you're going to find out our God is greater than your God. He's more powerful because He is a true God and yours is a made-up God. He uses a theological argument against them. You know, just try to settle yourself down and, and live with what you already have. Live with what you have, if you will, been given by your God. He uses another argument. It's called a logical argument. The next thing that he has that he says in regard to, uh, to the situation is found in verse number 25. And here's what we begin to read here. It says, Now are you any better than Balak, the king of Zippor, king of Moab? Did he ever contend against Israel? Or did he ever go to war with them? While Israel lived in Heshbon's and its villages and in Aurora and its villages and all the cities that are on the banks of the Arnon, 300 years, why did you not deliver them within that time? Well, backing up there in the first part of, or in uh, uh, verse 25, uh, he asked the question, what about the king of Moab? He said, didn't he, didn't he have sense enough not to attack us? Now, all of us remember the story of Moab, don't we? Moab was the one who hired Balaam, the prophet with the talking donkey. And the reason that he hired Balaam was so that he would come out and curse the children of Israel. 
and he couldn't do it. God wouldn't let him do it, and he would not do it. Uh, When he started to go, God caused the donkey to be able to talk when it crushed uh, uh, Balaam's leg up against the brick wall or block wall, rock wall. Balaam said, why did you do that? And donkey answered him, do you not see the angel up here with his sword drawn? And he was going to kill us? The point that he makes, that Jephthah makes is, hey, even though he tried to be a big shot, even though he tried, now he didn't say that in that term, I'm just telling you that, even though he thought he could intimidate us by getting this prophet to come over here and curse us, he was still smart enough not to attack God and his people. He leaves in his court, don't you think you ought to be that smart? That's the logical conclusion to which he could come. And so he makes that what we would call a logical argument. But then he makes the chronological argument as well. You may have noticed I read verse 26 in with verse 25. Basically the chronological argument is this. We've been here 300 years. Why haven't you tried to do something in the past 300 years? Surely there's a statute of limitations on on these things because they had waited for 300 years and had not attacked him. Four different arguments that he uses in order to try to have some diplomatic relationships and solve things without having to go to battle against them. But you know as well as I do, it didn't work. The king of the Ammonites... He would not listen to reason of any kind. And so in verse 27, as we look, we have the statement that is made, I therefore have not sinned against you, and you do me wrong by making war on me. The Lord, the judge, decide this day between the people of Israel and the people of Ammon. If you won't accept these arguments, understand that we haven't done anything wrong. And if you are bound and determined, we're going to put it into God's hands and allow him to settle it. Verse 28 says, But the king of the Ammonites didn't listen to the words of Jephthah that he sent to him. War's coming. War would happen between the two. And as we look at that, that brings us to our next major point, and that's this. Jephthah's Sorrow. You see, beginning in verse 29, the Bible says the Spirit of the Lord was upon Jephthah. He passed through Gilead, Manasseh, and passed on to Mizpah of Gilead. From Mizpah of Gilead, he passed on to the Ammonites. And Jephthah made a vow to the Lord and said, If you will give the Ammonites into my hand then whatever comes out of the doors of my house to meet me when I return in peace from the Ammonites shall be the Lord's, and I will offer it for a burnt offering. God, please help us to win this battle. God, please help us to overcome the Ammonites and what they had done in oppressing the children of Israel. For 18 years they've done that. God, please help us. And you know, Jephthah probably made a little mistake here 
and trying to bargain with God. God, if you'll do this for me, then this is what I'll do for you. And it led to great sorrow on the part of Jephthah. God, if you will allow me to defeat the children of the Ammonites, this whole army, if you will give them in my hand, then I'll give you something back. Whatever comes out of my door, out of my house, I'll give that to you. And I will make a burnt offering to you. Now, why was this such a sorrow to Jephthah? The Lord let him win. If you read in that chapter, the Lord let Jephthah win. He delivered the Ammonites into the hand of Jephthah. Jephthah went home. And if you've read the story, you know why it was so sad. For the first thing that came out of the door to greet her daddy when he came home was Jephthah's only daughter, his only child. She came out to greet daddy. Fathers, we can understand that, can't we? Sometimes, you know, when you've been gone to work or someplace and you come home and your little child comes home, you come home and what do they do? They come running to meet you. We went to visit a couple of our grandchildren the other day. We got there, I don't know, it was 8 or 9 o'clock that night. Both of them were standing in the door, glass door, jumping up and down because we were there. You know, they were happy to see us. And you can imagine a child, a grown daughter, even, happy to see her father who has come back from war. She comes running out to meet him. What a sad day that was for Jephthah. But you know, the question that we need to answer tonight is, did Jephthah really, and that's the, the reading there, but did Jephthah really offer his daughter as a human sacrifice? That's a question that commentators have debated and religious folks have debated because we, we know that the Bible teaches us very clearly that Jephthah fulfilled his vow to God. He would not back down from what he had said. But did he offer her as a sacrifice, a burnt offering to God? Here's some things that we need to remember when we're studying objects of uh, information like this. We need to take what the Bible has says as a whole into consideration. Here are four passages of Scripture you probably need to remember in regard to this. first one is found in the book of Leviticus chapter 18 at verse 21. There Moses said, You shall not give any of your children to offer them to Melech, or so profane the name of your God, I am the Lord. You see, the way that they offered their children to Melech or Moloch was that they offered them in burnt offerings and sacrifices. Some of the children of Israel at later times would actually start doing that. God would condemn them because they did. In Leviticus chapter 20, beginning at verse 2, going down through verse 5, 
Again, the Bible says, Say to the people of Israel, Any one of my people of Israel or of the strangers who sojourn in Israel who gives any of his children to Moloch shall surely be put to death. The people of the land shall stone him with stones. I myself will set my face against that man, will cut him off from among his people because he has given one of his children to Moloch to make my sanctuary unclean and to profane my holy name. And if the people of the land do at all close their eyes to that man when he gives one of his children to Moloch, and do not put him to death, then I will set my face against that man and against his clan, and will cut them all from among the people, him and all who follow him, in whoring after Moloch. Pretty strong condemnation of one who would sacrifice a child, isn't it? He was to forfeit his own life, and if God saw that the people of his own clan, of his own village, of his own place of living, did not exact the punishment, God himself would stand against that group of people, punish them. And so we see that, you know, God is against this idea of human sacrifices. God said, that's just not the way things ought to be done. But somebody says, preacher, he said don't offer this burn offering your child is a burn offering to Moloch, to a false god. That's correct. But we need to take into consideration again the fullness of what the Bible has to say. In the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 12, at verse 31, there the Bible says, You shall not worship the Lord your God in that way, For every abominable thing that the Lord hates, they have done for their gods, for they even burn their sons and their daughters in the fire to their gods. Yeah, he prohibited them from worshiping Moloch, but he also said, don't copy them. Don't try to worship me in that same way. I won't have it. On down in verse uh, chapter 18 of Deuteronomy, verse number 10, There shall not be found among you anyone who burns his son or his daughter as an offering, anyone who practices divination or tells fortunes or interprets omens or sorcerer. God said, don't do it. And so, in answering the question, did Jephthah offer his daughter as a human sacrifice? If he did so, he was doing it in direct violation of the commands that God had given. There's no way around that. God would not accept a human sacrifice and let the person get by with that. But look carefully again at the statement that was made by this man. You see... Jephthah made the vow and said, whatever it is that comes out of my door shall be the Lord's. And I will offer it up for a burnt offering. Do you realize that Jephthah must have understood, even when he was making that statement, that some things were not appropriate for burnt offerings? And I don't know if he had one or not. 
But suppose he had a cat or a dog, and that was the first thing that came out. Would that have been acceptable, either one of those? Would they have been acceptable offerings as burnt offerings to be offered? The answer to that is no, because those were not animals that were authorized by God in the Old Testament to be offered as sacrifices. So the same would have been true of his daughter. Surely he would have known, having known the history of Israel as he did, that it would not have been acceptable for him to offer his daughter. And so what is that, where does that leave us? What does that mean? Well, again, as we look carefully at that statement that he made, that whatever it is that comes out shall be the Lord's, even if it was not burnt as an offering to the Lord, he could still fulfill his promise to God, his vow to God, by dedicating that to the Lord, which is what he said he would do. You see, he was not the first to do that, nor would he be the last. We read in the book of 1 Samuel, a little bit later on, 1 Samuel chapter 1, verses 10 through 28, about a man, young boy, by the name of Samuel. His mother wanted a little baby. She was so sad because she hadn't had one. Her husband's love was not enough. One day she prayed and prayed hard. Lord, if you will give me a child, give me a son, I'll give him back to you. And you read that first chapter of the book of Samuel and what does she do? She raises him for a while, dedicates him to the Lord. We know that young man is the prophet Samuel, the great servant of God. What about the ministering women who remained at the tabernacle, Exodus chapter 38, verse 8? We even see that carried over into the New Testament. Luke chapter 2, verse 37, a woman by the name of Anna who stayed there continually. She was waiting and serving God, had been there doing so for many, many years. If we look carefully at the context, we understand that that seems to be something that is being indicated. You see, as you look down to verse number 37 of the chapter, in chapter number 11, I want you to notice what the Bible has to say in regard to, to this lady, to this, woman, to this girl. So she said to her father, Let this thing be done for me. Leave me alone for two months that I may go and up and down on the mountains and weep for my virginity. I and my companions. Verse 38, he says that that was allowed. She would be able to do that. But she was wanting to weep for her virginity. Verse 39 speaks about how she had never known a man. Well, what does that have to do with anything? In her role of being dedicated to the Lord, to always be there to serve Him, she would never get to raise a family of her own. Her service would be to God, not to a husband. Her love and her care and her work would be for the Lord, not for her family. And so she went to weep, to mourn, 
because of that. You know what? Thinking about it in that stand, from that standpoint as well, fulfills another thing that was said in regard to Jephthah. Mentioned this earlier, that Jephthah was an outcast, which we talked about more in, in detail last time. Jephthah was an outcast. And he was told in verse number 2 of chapter 11, by his brothers, the Bible said, and Gilead's wife also bore him sons, and when his wife's sons grew up, they drove Jephthah out and said to him, You shall not have an inheritance in our father's house, for you're the son of another woman. You see what Jephthah's brothers said would actually come to pass through his daughter being dedicated to God. That was his only child. He had no other to carry on his family name. He had no other to keep the family line going. And so it fulfilled those words. I say that tonight and believe that it's most likely the case, there's no other way that I can see possible that the next things that we're going to say about him could be said if Jephthah went out and burned his daughter. Hebrews chapter 11 at verse 32, what's sometimes called God's hall of fame of the faithful. Verse 32 says, What more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon and Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David, Samuel, and the prophets. You see, Jephthah is specifically mentioned as being one of those faithful men of God. He's put in the same grouping as David, a man after God's own heart, and Samuel. How could it be said that he was faithful if he had done such? Jephthah had it hard because of his background. But he was brought to a higher standing when the people came to call him their leader and their head. But you know, there's something else before we close our lesson tonight. And that's this, found in verse 35. As soon as he saw her, he tore his clothes and said, Alas, my daughter, you've brought me very low. And you have become the cause of great trouble to me, for I've opened my mouth to the Lord, and I cannot take back my vow. Yeah, he became an outcast. He was run away from home. The men come to realize they need him. They make him their leader and their head that we talked about two weeks ago. The most outstanding one in their land. He had just returned from winning the battle. He had made the children of Israel make the statement before all the people, you will be the exalted one. And now, his daughter comes out, and Jephthah has to humble himself 
back before God. He was the head, the exalted one among the people. But he was still humble before his God because he said, I can't take back my vow. Even if it costs me my name living on, my daughter having to go and serve God and not bear me grandchildren, any of these things, the joys that I won't renege on what I've said to God. As we close our lesson tonight, how many of us are as willing as Jephthah was to keep our word to God? Brought him great sorrow, but he did. Sometimes when we're tested, when we are out and we have something that is just a little temptation to us, we're willing to give up almost anything, even our promise to God to be faithful to Him for just a little bit of pleasure, a little bit of money, a little bit of fame. What we need is more people like Jephthah who are willing to stand on their promises to God. You see, we all make promises to God. When we become Christians, we'll be faithful to you, Lord. Even if it costs us our life, Lord, we'll be faithful. But there's so many times that things stand between us and our God. What about you tonight? Have you made a commitment to God? Have you had your sins washed away in the blood of Jesus Christ? been baptized for the remission of your sins. Maybe you're here and you don't fully understand what we're talking about. I'd love to sit down, or Connor or anyone else would love to sit down and help you understand more in regard to that. Maybe you're here tonight and you know that you need to be baptized for the remission of your sins. We'd love to assist you with that this very night so that you could go away with your sins washed away. Maybe you're here tonight and... You have become a Christian, but unlike Jephthah, you haven't kept your word to God. You haven't been as faithful to Him as you should. You need to come back to Him. If you're here tonight and you need to respond to the Lord's invitation, why don't you do it right now as together we stand and sing. Just as I am without one plea, but Yeah.
If you're here and you have not been able to complete your worship, if you go ahead and exit the auditorium at this time, to my right, to your left, down to the library, you will be served at this time. Thanks again for being here. We'll get into the uh, specifics here in just a moment when we get ready to close as to the rules and regulations and so forth. Uh, it's getting